We've been walking through the book of Revelation on Sunday morning, and we've seen John's vision of the Lord Jesus Christ walking in the midst of his churches. We've heard Jesus calling out to each church seven times, he says it. To him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So what's important is that you hear what Jesus is saying to you. Obviously, he was saying something different to each church. He also says something different to each of us. So are you listening? These messages were sent to these churches at a time of discouragement and difficulty, just like you and me. They were being tempted and tried and troubled. Many of them felt alone and abandoned by God. But, but this vision that the Lord Jesus gave to John proved that they were not alone, and we are not alone. That's the great message of this book of Revelation. Jesus Christ walks in the midst of our church. They were living in a world that, that seemed out of control. Now, isn't that how you feel as you watch the news, if you're watching the news at all, that might be how you ought to feel if you were just looking at the world from a, a, a news perspective, a current events perspective. Uh, they were broken people in a broken world. Yet in their chaotic present came this assurance that God was on his throne. And we saw that in chapter 4. And last week we saw in chapter 5 Jesus walk up and, and take the scroll that had the events of the future out of the hand of God, and, and Jesus is the one who's worthy to take that scroll and open the seals. Now, as we move to chapter 6, there's going to be one overarching theme through this message, and in this chapter, it, it is so clear, and that is that history is his story. That's something I want you to remember today as we walk through this passage. Everything that unfolds on the scene of history unfolds under the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can that be? How can it be that when world events seem out of control, that Jesus is in control? Well, first, I need to give you a bit of Old Testament perspective. Some of you will remember uh, in the Old Testament the time when some of God's people were taken away into captivity uh, the Babylonians invaded the kingdom of Judah. It reminds us really of something that happened recently in Israel on the news. It, it's similar to that, only it was worse than that then. They, they, the Babylonians came into Judah. They carried many of the people away captive. Among that list of captives were people that you remember in the Bible like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They tore down the walls of Jerusalem. They burned the temple. They took, took away all the implements in the temple. The, the Babylonians, also known as the Chaldeans, did that. But they did that under the sovereignty of God. Let me read you a passage of Scripture from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Just listen to it. God says, and he might be saying this today, so listen very carefully. He says, look among the nations. That's what he told his people. Look among the nations. Observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe it if you were told. For behold, 
I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places that are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. But God said, I am raising them up. And they were raised up and judgment came upon his people, but judgment came upon his people because the sovereign hand of God unfolded it into their lives. Seventy years later, God did something else. There was another kingdom that was raised up on the earth, a kingdom called Persia. We've been hearing about Persia in the news because some in Iran want to reestablish the old kingdom of Persia. Well, this is what, and the king who was the king of Persia at the time was a king named Cyrus. Listen to this passage from Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28. God speaking, it is I, God says, who says of Cyrus, you are my shepherd and he will perform all my desire. And then in chapter 45 of Isaiah, verse 1, Thus says the Lord of Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. God used Cyrus, the king of Persia, to open the doors for his people to come back home. History has always unfolded under the sovereign hand of God. History is His story. It has always been, it will always be. So in one way, when we open the sixth chapter of Revelation, we're not reading anything new. We're just seeing it from a different perspective. We're seeing the unfolding of history from the perspective of heaven. So we look at the news and we see Hamas and Hezbollah and the Houthis of Yemen all backed by Iran with connections to Russia and China and North Korea and who knows who else. But you can be assured that the destiny of mankind does not rest in the hands of rogue nations or rogue leaders. It rests in the hands of the Lamb who was slain the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who holds your future and my future and the future of this world in his hands. So we're going to come now to chapter 6, verse 1. Then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the living creatures, one of the four living creatures saying, As with the voice of thunder, come. So what does it mean? Here's the next point in the message. What does it mean to break one of the seals? It simply means to set the plan of God in motion. These plans are not set in motion without the direct action of the Lord Jesus Christ. What unfolds before us is the drama of redemption. This is God's will. This is God's plan that is going to be executed under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the seals are broken, the seals unleash, the seals reveal, the seals set in motion, but everything that happens is the will of the one sitting on the throne. It is his plan executed under the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. The living creatures, they just add to the drama. They 
they, they show that the command is issued from before the very throne of God for these things to happen. Now, when we come to verse 2, we're going to meet the much talked about in Hollywood and other circles, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And we're going to talk about who they are. And really, they are symbols. They're, uh, they're also four horses in the book of Zechariah. So we can look at the book of Zechariah. We look at the Old Testament and say, what are these four horses in Zechariah? There were four horses and also four sets of horses that pulled chariots. They also were different colors. And in the Old Testament, those horses were said to be spirits sent out to patrol the earth. In other words, they were doing God's bidding. Everything that happened in the Old Testament happened under God's sovereignty. Everything that happens from the perspective of heaven now happens under the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we come to verse 2, and we're going to walk through these seals verse by verse, verse 2 first, and I looked, and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, this horse and its rider represent some activity uh, unleashed by the breaking of that first seal. And I have read numerous explanations, and I can tell you they range from this rider must be something related to the Lord Jesus Christ because everything in the book of Revelation that is white is related to the Lord Jesus Christ and they're fine scholars that believe that and other scholars on the other end say it must be the Antichrist. Uh, so we, let's just say, well, the best explanation I have found that helped me understand this was to say, okay, which direction are these horses going? They're all going the same direction. They all seem to follow one another in sequence. And so it's best then to see these horses as a set. This is some world leader. This is some personage who rises up on the scene of world history or some power that, uh, that's unleashed. Now the identity, we can't say who the identity is because the identity is not given to any other of the horses except the last one or the riders. And that, that last one is obviously a symbol. So we don't know. We just know that conquering and to conquer... There's going to be some plan for some battle. Uh, and so this is going to come on the world scene. When this seal is unleashed, this will trigger these events. Uh, and so it's, it's just best to look at them in that way. Some war or some battle of great consequence. But when it happens, whatever happens, it happens under the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that history is his story. When things happen on the scene of world history, they have always happened under the sovereignty of God and they will always happen under the sovereignty of God. So we come to the second seal. Verses 3 and 4, he opened the second seal. I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red, and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Now, what does this tell us? Well, first it tells us that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, in ways that we don't understand, maintains peace on the earth. It also tells us 
that when he breaks this second seal, that under his sovereignty, peace will be removed from the earth. And when peace is removed from the earth, the Bible says here, men will slay one another. Now, the word slay is the same word in, that, that we saw in chapter 5 about the lamb who was slain. And the word slain, we said, was the word butchered or slaughtered. And so men will slaughter one another. And, and, and so that, here's this picture here in the New Testament. That's what happens. Now, they will use whatever weapons are at their disposal. Now, as we go through these seals, we'll find that all of these, the white horse, the red horse, uh, the, the, the next two horses that follow as we look at them, result in one-fourth of all the people of the earth being killed. It's hard to imagine that in, in any other time of history that one-fourth of all the people, how many people we have in the world today? About 7.5 billion, so that's nearly 2 billion people in the world killed at, at one time or as, as a result of one series of events. And yet, in 1945, when the atomic bomb was dropped on Nagasaki, it's estimated that in an instant, in a single instant, 40,000 people died in an instant. We now have hydrogen bombs that are 1,000 times more powerful than the atomic bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki. So conceivably, 40 million people could die in an instant. There's an article in the Scientific American that I read this week that says simply this, there is no way to use one nuclear weapon without escalating a crisis and murdering civilians. In January of 2022, the leaders of China, France, Russia, the United Kingdom, and the United States affirmed that a nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought as the consequences of a single weapon uh, detonation would be absolutely catastrophic. Now those statistics are frightening and the United States has over 5,000 nuclear weapons. Russia has over 6,000 nuclear weapons. And there are seven other countries who possess nuclear weapons with more trying to possess them as we speak. And what's the outcome of removing peace from the earth? Men will use whatever weapons at their disposal and they will slaughter one another. Now we come to the breaking of the third seal. Remember, these things happen in sequence. These are things that happen as a result. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. In other words, let me just make this really simple about these prices and these amounts. Very simple staple items will not be available. What had been available before will cost 16 times as much to just get by in a single day. Can you imagine 16 prices costing the price of a single loaf of bread costing 16 times as much as it does today. Could you afford to feed your family? Severe famine, severe shortages, shortages among the common people. The oil and the wine represents the wealthy people. You can see where wealthy people might could get by in a time like that, but common people could not survive. Historically, famines are not just accompanied by starvation. 
Here's some, here's some history for you. From the years 1315 to 1322, millions in northern Europe died, but not just from lack of food. Starting with a string of bad weather in 1315, we saw a little streak of dry weather here. We still got, it's still really dry, but we saw what might could happen if it didn't rain and it didn't rain and it didn't rain. They had bad weather in the spring of 1315, resulting in universal crop failures, lasting until the summer of 1317, and Europe didn't recover fully from that until 1322. It was a period marked by extreme levels of criminal activity, disease, mass death, infanticide, and cannibalism. That was, not, that was just a few hundred years before our folks decided, hey, we'll come over here. And still we see the things that can happen when there's famine. So this leads us to the fourth horse and the fourth horseman. Verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse. The Amplified Bible, I like the way it relates this, not just a pale horse, but it uses pale greenish gray. It's the color, the sickening color of, the, of death. And, the, and this horse with the color of death, the rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by the wild beast of the earth. So you see here this picture of death riding a horse. It's just simply a picture. Hades here is the, is the grave or the abode of the dead, the rider death going with the sword, people dying, and death swallowing them up like a sack holding the dead. So we have this picture in the midst of such chaos. What about God's people? What about God's people on the earth? Now, I know that in many studies on Revelation, the assumption is that the church is, is removed from the earth, and, and, and I believe that this assumption uh, has no basis in this book. I remind you, this book is written to the church. I believe it's written so that we'll know what happens uh, in the last years before the end and what we can expect. So, and I'm going to give you some scripture to back that up in just a moment. Now look at the fifth seal in verse 9. This talks about God's people. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed. In other words, this is not over. And so now we must answer the question, who are the souls under the altar? I remind you that John was writing to a group of believers who were experiencing tribulation. Tribulation for them was 
was a present reality, not a fantasy of some far distant future. For them, there was no escape. Their testing would be complete to the church at Smyrna. Jesus said, be faithful until death. The threat of death for their faith was a reality for these believers. And so here's a great comfort for them in these verses to hear about the present state of the faithful. Where are these people who've lost their lives for the sake of their faith, who've poured out their lives to death for the cause of Christ? Their souls are beneath the altar like sacrifices where the blood flows down the altar to the base. Their souls are at the base of the altar in heaven. They are before God. Last week, we saw these elders with the bowls of the prayers of the saints and the incense, the prayers rise like incense before God. Prayers rising up from the earth. Prayers rising up from these saints who are at the, at the base of the altar. Now, they're safe, dressed in white robes because they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, and they must wait for their fellow servants and their brothers who will face the same fate. Now, we need to understand that this is not new. None of this we're seeing. When we look back at the Old Testament, it's clear that this has always been true. History's always been his story. As a matter of fact, some people say that you can take Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 14, and you can lay it over this passage in chapter 6. Let me read you verses 4 through 14 and see how it, just listen to it. Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for these things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will arise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs or the beginning of sorrows, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and will hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So here is, is Jesus in control of history. We look at things that happen in our own lives, in our own families, in our own community. In our own world. Is he in control of history? If so, why do people die? Why do people suffer? Why are his people persecuted? Now remember, each one of these seals represents some activity that, that occurs under the sovereignty, the absolute authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. As conditions deteriorate politically, morally, and economically, and as more and more believers find themselves in life-threatening circumstances as a result of of their commitment to Christ, we might begin to have some questions, just like the people in John's day had questions. Why is God silent in the face of our trials? 
Why doesn't God do something? When will God do something? When will God do something about the things that have happened to us? That's where they were. That's where these souls under the altar were. They were asking some big questions, some hard questions. And then the sixth seal is opened. The sixth seal has an answer. When he opened the sixth seal, this is verse 12, I looked, and behold, there was an earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Let me give you two points here of explanation before I give you the heading under which we're going to look at this. Number one, you remember when we looked at the throne, the throne room of God with God sitting on the throne and we saw flashes of lightning and peals of thunder and we looked at that passage from the Psalms which shows that whenever God is about to act in behalf of his people, their rumblings and shakings from before the throne of God think something is about to happen people that's what this is saying something is about to happen you remember in the book of Isaiah where it says make every raise up every valley level every mountain make a way for the Lord because he's coming he's about to do something in behalf of his people he's going to bring his people home you have here in this passage not the end of the world. This is not the end of the world. It doesn't end here. The book should end here as we read this, but it doesn't end here. It doesn't end here because this is not yet the end. This is the beginning of the end. But there are tokens of what's about to happen. Two things, and here's our last point. Redemption draweth nigh, and so does judgment. How do I conclude that? I conclude that because if you go to the Gospel of Luke and you read the chapter 21 from about verse 21, 22 to about verse 28, you will see a similar string of events happen. And in verse 28, Jesus said at the end of that, he said, but you, when you see these things take place, you lift up your heads because your redemption draweth nigh. God's about to do something. God's about to deliver his people. God's about to answer the prayers of his people. But at the same time, when these things begin to happen on the earth, the, the people who dwell on the earth who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ realize that judgment is about to come. They are heartbeats away from judgment. Now, uh, in this book of Revelation, one of the things you, that if you'll read it, and I know that I understand all the movies and dramas and all the books written about the book of Revelation, and I have a problem. Here's where I have a problem. I'm just going to be honest with you. I have a problem with any view of this book or any view of the New Testament that says 
The church is going to be taken out of the world. Jesus is going to come get the church and take everybody away. And then everybody left, can, then they can trust Jesus after that. That's not the way I read my New Testament. My New Testament reads that when Jesus comes, the door is shut. Just like the door was shut in Noah's day, the door will be shut in that day. There's no second chance. My Bible reads, Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts, because today is the day of salvation. Don't you think you can wait for some other day? Don't you think that you know some secrets and you'll say, well, when the church is caught away, so that must mean that it's time for me to trust Jesus as my Savior. That's not the way I read my Bible. As a matter of fact, if you read the book of Revelation, you will find that in the book of Revelation, no one ever repents, ever the judgments of God fall in order to call people to repentance, but no one ever answers that call. In the book of Revelation, people are terrorized, but never evangelized. God's people are the ones that are ready. The gospel is preached, but it only serves to harden already hard hearts. On the other hand, believers see things differently. Believers see things from the perspective of heaven. Believers see even bad events knowing that there is a God behind the scenes who is working all things together good, that our God is sovereign over everything. Listen, everything that happens in our lives, the worst heartaches, the deepest, darkest tragedies of life. Brother, are you saying God caused it? No, I'm not saying God caused it. I'm saying God is at work behind the scenes to bring comfort to the hearts of his people, to take even the worst of things and to say to his people, I want to remind you that I'm still on my throne. I know where you live. I know where you are. I know what you face. The events in your life and the events in your world are under my control. History is his story. It has always been. It will always be. Whatever unfolds on the scene of our world as we watch the news does not unfold without the permission of the one sitting on the throne and the sovereign hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is bringing history to its desired end. That's the plan, and it's in the hands of of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would urge you today, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, to do so. I would urge you not to wait. And I would also say to you, if your life and your heart is not right with Him, if you are out of fellowship with Him, I would urge you to correct that because we don't know the exact timeline of anything in this book. But we do know that God tells us that we should be ready. Let's pray.